0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Here we go, the official show on the Fish Stripes podcast channel. I'm Eli Sussman, the managing editor of Fist Stripes, where we cover the Miami Marlins every single day in our own way. We live for days like this, recording this on Wednesday evening, where it wasn't the trade deadline itself, but we're getting close, and already one of those huge dominoes fell with the trade of Starling Marte to the Oakland A's in exchange for left-hander Jesus Lazardo, formerly one of the very best pitching prospects in all of baseball. This show is presented by Symbol, the stock market for sports. In deals like this, it's the perfect reminder of how every baseball move is truly interconnected and way more closely than you think. It's a beautiful thing. One of the two trades that happened today was that Marte deal, as well as Yimi Garcia going to the Astros. If you rewind all the way back to the start of this ownership tenure of Derek Jeter as CEO, of Bruce Sherman as chairman. They took over right after the 2017 season. What's the very first trade that they made in charge of the Marlins? It was with the Yankees. It was before the Stanton trade, a couple weeks before that, in November 2017, sending pitching prospect Michael King and some international bonus pool money to New York in exchange for Garrett Cooper and Caleb Smith, both quad A sort of players that were expendable to the Yankees. Fast forward to Wednesday in the Starling Marte deal, the Marlins were able to get Marte in the first place from Caleb Smith as being kind of that centerpiece to the move last trade deadline with Arizona. It's only two degrees of separation between the very first deal and then one of the most recent ones. The first one we've already seen has had a huge impact on the organization and for the most part in a positive way. The hope is that this one will do the same moving forward uh for the Marlins. And as I bring up Garrett Cooper right now, he's going to be a big focus of our second segment here. I know people really want to focus on the here and now and looking forward to what's going to happen on deadline day. We'll have coverage of that on Fish Stripes on our social media accounts on Fish Stripes live. We'll have all the like pertinent information, updates, and then, of course, reaction to what happens between now and Friday at 4 p.m., but I do feel that this is a really fascinating time to dive into the status of the Marlins' first base DH position for the rest of this season and moving forward with some unfortunate news today. In most mostly positive and exciting day for the Marlins, there was that unfortunate news that Garrett Cooper has undergone, or he will be on, undergoing, season-ending surgery for a slight tear in his UCL, in his non-throwing arm, with the hope that he could be ready for the start of spring training next year, if not, hopefully by opening day, for sure. So we're going to go into that later on. We'll start off, of course, with Marte, and an an appreciation for Marte. I don't think it's been lost on people how great he has been with the Marlins. There were high expectations as someone who had previously been just an extremely productive and well-rounded player with Pittsburgh and for his brief time in Arizona. The expectations were pretty high when they acquired him. You'd have to say that he has surpassed those expectations. He just had an awesome tenure with the Marlins, like few that we've ever seen in Marlins history. That's kind of what I wanted to get to here right away, that there have been very few players, you could count them on one hand really, that have had a Marlins tenure that was that was like Marte's overall, all things considered. I mean, for one, the brevity of it. He was acquired at the trade deadline last year, and because that whole season was shifted later than usual, trade deadline last year, August 31st, and he gets traded here officially on July 28th, less than one year with the Marlins organization, and he's already gone. Uh, The final stats for him, he played in 91 regular season games, as well as uh, that one postseason game before that unfortunate injury that sidelined him for the rest of the postseason run. But he was critical to getting them into the postseason in 2020 in a year where they had really no good options in center field. He was a massive upgrade over who they had. He came through in the clutch from the immediate first time that he joined the Marlins and all the way through late into the season. And his overall performance was even better here in 2021 when healthy. Of course, he did miss time with that rib fracture, but both before and after that injury, he was arguably the best player on the team. 91 games in total, those two seasons, he hit 287, a 371 on base percentage, a 441 slugging, and that is more than 20% better than a league average if you're going by weighted runs created plus much better than average hitter. Um, And even better than that was his base running is stealing 27 out of 30 bases, a 90% stolen base success rate at an incredible volume. He did it while I think the biggest surprise to me was how well he played center field. You just look it up and it's unusual for any guys in their 30s to still be playing center field, much less being a real asset out there defensively. And that's exactly what he was, especially here in 2021. So for all this concern from some people, not a lot but from some people that, you know, he'll be if you're giving him a future contract beyond this year that he'll be as a corner outfielder, uh, there's really nothing from what we saw in 2021 that like feeds into that other than just looking at comparable players. Like what we saw with our own eyes this year was really outstanding by defensive runs saved, by outs above average, whatever metric you use. And just by seeing the routes that he takes and the athleticism that he has, the variety of plays that he makes with ease, that was super impressive. You bundle it all together, and those two seasons, but again, not two full seasons. It adds up to only 91 games, and he contributed three and a half wins above replacement by baseball reference, slightly more than that by fan graphs. Uh, You extrapolate that over like 162 games, and that's a superstar. That is an MVP candidate, almost. That, that's how terrific he was in the time that he was available to the Marlins. And they got him, as I said, for for Caleb Smith when Smith's stock was way down. He had coming off of his COVID positive test for Humberto Mejia, who was kind of like a, a fringy uh, back-end starter, but more likely middle reliever type. And then a, a real lottery ticket deeper in their farm system, Julio Frias. They were able to get Marte for the rest of this year, that reasonable team option for this year, and they picked it up. Um, I mentioned his wins above replacement about three and a half, and I really I find him on this this tier of about five guys, position players in Marlins history, who at very short tenures, either one season, one full calendar year or less, and performed at that kind of level. And what you get on top of that list, the really best example of a one year guy. A hitter for the Marlins that really carried the team, it would have to be Pudge Rodriguez in 2003. Going by Baseball Reference, War four and a half wins above replacement during that 03 season. And that's just the regular season. He was terrific also in the postseason, and he was like there all. He was an Iron Man during that postseason run as well. Uh, right below him, Moises Alou at 3.5 wins above replacement. Uh, he was an RBI machine during that 1997 season. So you see, with those guys maybe put them in their own tier because they were involved on those World Series teams? But, I mean, Marte, statistically, he is right there with Moises Alou, and he did it at that up-the-middle position, whereas Alou was mostly that corner guy. And Marte, the performance is right there, and he did it in so much fewer games due to the shortened schedule, due to his injury. Uh, The two names right below him in terms of wins above replacement – as a Marlin for these short 10 years. You get Jose Reyes in 2012, and you get Carlos Delgado in 2005. That's kind of the company he keeps. When we think of Marte's tenure with the Marlins, I think it should be very much like we view those other guys. Pudge, Moises Alou, Jose Reyes, Carlos Delgado. Uh, And maybe you want to take Reyes out of that because he obviously wasn't involved with any team that had any sort of contending moment for it, I mean, things went south pretty early in that 2012 season. I think it's really Marte, Delgado, Alou, and Pudge kind of in a tier of their own. However, you want to break that up, you know, I'm, I'm struggling to exactly draw the line there. Uh, I think that just hammers home how how unique this has been to have him perform so well and to do it at an up the middle position at a time when the Marlins just did not have any good alternatives at that position. It was it was such a huge boost. And, of course, that's what you have to be extremely satisfied with how the front office handled it. Um, That being said, in the immediate aftermath of this deal, uh, the popular opinion is that the Marlins got excellent value for Marte at this point. So at this point, you know, he has turned down those contract extensions. The Marlins made multiple offers. We've had this long conversation about how those offers were not good enough. They did technically make offers, though, and they trade him to an Oakland team that has the same sort of you know spending anxiety that the Marlins have. So they are acquiring him in Oakland, knowing full well that he is a rental. They are not going to be able to extend him during the season, and they are highly, highly doubtful to be able to win any sort of b- bidding war once he reaches free agency as the top center fielder on the market, perhaps the top outfielder on the market overall. They For two months, just knowing him as rental at a time where they're not even guaranteed to make the playoffs in Oakland. It might just only be for two months, not necessarily three, including October. They gave up Jesus Lazardo, who is very recently removed from being an elite pitching prospect, really on that same level that Sixto Sanchez was when Sixto was acquired by the Marlins. Um, Jesus is a little bit older uh, he's had more. He's had similar sort of injury concerns throughout his career. He actually has had a more significant injury, I'd say, already in his career to his shoulder than Sixto has had at any other point. Uh, but the the velo, especially for a left-handed pitcher, that velo is pretty great. He's got a lot of potential with uh, his changeup and with his his breaking ball. Um, when you dive into it, and his performance in the minor leagues at the lower levels was excellent. He's having a pretty rough year here in 2021. We're not going to go into Lazaro right now other than to point out that the Marlins, by trading away Marte so close to the end of his deal, and by taking responsibility for all the money at the end of it, they were able to get this great return. And I've seen a lot of people applauding the Marlins for eating that money, which was about $4.5 million that he was still owed for the rest of this year in order to buy a better prospect out of it. Lizardo, not technically a prospect, but you know what I mean, to buy a better, younger player than they would have otherwise uh, because they were able to do that. Again, I just think the full context here is important, that if you're giving the Marlins an A, an A-plus for this trade, I just don't think that's the important thing to grade. I don't think that's really what matters. What matters is really the entire process. So I won't go all the way back to the King and the Cooper and, and the Caleb trade from the first trade in 2017. But if you go back to when the Marlins acquired Marte, um, from there, you know, less than a year, how that played out. um, it It was a great process to acquire him. His production was pretty great. He showed himself to be a pretty invaluable member of the team. And he even showed an eagerness to stay with the Marlins beyond his current deal. That they had this opportunity to extend him. If we are going by the trusty reports of Craig Mish, Marlins insider, saying that they had contract extension negotiations during late June and into mid-July, eventually breaking up those conversations at the All-Star break when they were still too far apart and couldn't find any common ground. So they had this opportunity to extend him. And I think that's when you'd be fully, fully satisfied with what the Marlins pulled off here if they were able to get this production and then you know, lock him up through the remainder of his prime years at a time where, uh, by all measures, he is performing as well right now as he has at pretty much any other point of his career. Instead, they have this temporary void in center field. There's, there's optimism. There's some buzz that they will find another guy to address this position uh, in the very near term, perhaps before the deadline. But... I don't think you could pat the Marlins on the back for stepping up and paying the rest of Marte's deal to make this trade pull off when they showed that they did not have the financial wherewithal to extend a player that had a lot of mutual interest in being extended. They passed up on this opportunity. What they did here is they salvaged the situation. This is one of the only ways that they could have done it this is—they've done almost the best possible job of salvaging the situation. That's where you see people giving this an A or an A plus for what they did here, because they really—this is an excellent way to salvage the situation by bringing home a local player in Jesus Lozardo, who has immense upside, who is not far removed from producing at the major league level, and who still has some of those skills intact that make you believe that that ceiling is still attainable. But again, that does not. Take away from what the Marlins screwed up here. They did not step up and make that offer to Marte, um, and potentially because they have enough concerns about the, the the profitability of the franchise that they felt they couldn't commit what fifteen million dollars a year for the next three or four years to a great player. So, so that is still there. Like that's still a misstep, and even no matter how excited we are about who potentially they could trade for as a controllable center fielder, the odds are stacked against that controllable center fielder being as good as Marte is. That's what I really want to hammer home here is how high a bar Marte set, how difficult he is to replace. Ethan Badowski on Fistripes has an article about this trade with some thoughts about that that I encourage you to read. It'll be much harder to replace Marte than uh, I think anybody imagines. They might not be able to replace Marte. Um, And so although I do applaud them for making this move, um, there are certainly some encouraging signs about how they're able to land this particular deal and landed from a team that I don't think anybody had on the radar as a Marte um, contender. So a team that was pursuing Marte in the Oakland A's. Uh, Yeah, credit for uh, all of that. But when you look at this entire situation as a whole, Certainly, this is not the ideal outcome to be Starling marte at this stage, Uh, going into, we're now deep into year four of this rebuild of this new era, and um, not knowing at this point who is going to be up the middle for you in center field in year five. This podcast, as always, presented by our partners at Symbol, the stock market for sports, Symbol allows you to trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Use your knowledge and the site's free daily market analysis to buy low, sell high on MLB, NFL, NBA, and now college football teams as well on Symbol. Symbol Symbol.app, that's where more than 2,500 early adopters have already started to invest. www.simbull.app to create your free account, when you deposit at symbol.app make sure to use the promo code Fish Stripes, all one word, Fish Stripes, to get started, and you get a $10 deposit bonus with that promo code. The current Sim Marlin's share price: $28.52. Visit symbol.app promo code Fish to claim that $10 deposit bonus to help build your portfolio. Invest in what you know. Invest in sports. As promised, we circle back to the original Jeter trade that included acquiring Garrett Cooper from the Yankees. He's in the news today. Like the only bad piece of news that we got is that he is out for the entire season with after that collision at first base, it resulted in an elbow sprain severe enough that they have to, they've opted to have it addressed. There was a couple other options. He could have tried to do a more traditional rehab route instead of undergoing surgery, but that was not guaranteed to get him back during the season anyway. His recovery time estimated to be about five months, so we might not know until the new year, until spring training gets relatively close, whether or not he'll actually be available for the very start of it, which begs the question about what this position looks like for the Marlins next year, and that's both first base and DH. We are going to be optimistic and assume that Major League Baseball and the Players Association, they come to their senses. They get a DH, a universal DH, as part of the new collective bargaining agreement. And the Marlins have, I guess you could say, three guys for two spots. It's a little bit more nuanced than that. They have Garrett Cooper, they have Jesus Aguilar, and they have Lewin Diaz. And we're going to talk about all of them. So with Cooper, his season is over. He had a 284, 380, 465 slash line, awfully similar, similar to what he had in 2020. When we were calling him the best hitter on the Marlins, he was arguably the best hitter on the Marlins this year. Nine home runs in less than half a season uh, due to the time that he also missed with a previous injury. A 136 WRC+. plus. Remember, league average is 100. 36% better than league average when you adjust for the playing conditions. Very similar to what he did in 2020. It's hard to argue that he is a great hitter, that he is probably the most talented hitter on the Marlins Major League roster, I don't know if you'd point to anybody in their minor league system that has more like ability than he does at simply hitting the ball. Payoff pitch coming. This a fly ball out to deep left center field. Garrett Cooper is the hero today. It's some Marlins walk off winner. Cooper, you found the stroke. A big home run in last night. Tonight, the walk-off winner. And that's not the end-all, be-all to everything. With Cooper, what we saw this year is we saw some bad outfield defense. He was forced to play a lot of outfield this year because of the lack of DH, uh, because of Jesus Aguilar kind of being that steady force at first base, that he was out of position, and he really struggled in right field. Um, even though this, this injury, this ultimate elbow injury, actually happened when he was playing first base, but I digress. And then as a base runner, he's, uh, he's pretty slow. You might say he's the most athletic guy of this group. I don't know. It's it, that's uh, not much of a distinction. It's not saying much. The bar is very low, but for him, he is um, despite that he is extremely slow and he's liability on the bases. So when he's not hitting it for extra bases, um, you that's that's something that uh, it kind of limits his impact on the game. He is earning in his first year of arbitration eligibility 1.8 million dollars um, due to this shortened season. My rough estimate is that next year in arbitration, he'll certainly earn a raise, but not a huge one. Maybe something in the 2 to $3 million range. It could get into the low threes. Um, I don't think it will quite double, though. It'll be a very manageable total, even for a guy that you're not sure is a full-time player. Next, we go to Aguilar. Um, I'm recording this as the Marlins are finishing up their game against the Orioles. Uh, I'm assuming this is going to be his final total. 75 runs batted in, which is the most in the National League. He's been right up there among the National League leaders for uh, most of the year, and as I'm recording this, the game has just ended—a uh, walk-off walk for the Baltimore Orioles as the Marlins split the series in Baltimore, and uh, so that's going to complete what the Marlins are looking like heading into the trade deadline. They're going to be 44 and 58. Back to the show with Aguilar. 90—he's uh, played in almost every single game this year. He's been—he's been durable and he's been so productive, especially on the road, for whatever reason. He's been incredible on the road. He's been all right at home, and he is a little bit further along in his service time than Cooper is. He's uh, he's six months younger, but he has been in the big leagues longer, and he's been more productive because he's been more durable. He's earning over four million dollars this year and um, next season. Um, due to if he keeps this up, if he continues playing on a pretty regular basis down the stretch, and he has these big counting stats, I think he's going to get up over. Uh, million for him this upcoming year. He's going to be, um, all things considered, a fine value for a lot of teams, but I don't need to remind you that the Marlins are very stingy with this kind of stuff. And all indications, I wouldn't say all indications, if I was to guess right now, the sense is that Aguilar will not be traded at the deadline, that the Marlins aren't getting quite what they want in negotiations, and just quoting Craig Mish. He reported on Wednesday morning, Jesus Aguilar wants to stay and Miami has interest in extending him through 2023. So that'd be a two-year contract extension. There predictably has been a lot of interest in him, Mish and another tough decision coming there. So, so not a done deal that he's going to make it through the deadline. I'm frankly kind of shocked that this we're even in this position where they've discussed an extension and where a trade of him is... Very unclear to happen because of that big raise that he is due. Something I again north of probably eight million dollars due to the kind of numbers that he is putting up this season for someone that is landlocked at first base. You know, he's an emergency third baseman. We've seen that in action uh, at least once this year, if not twice, of him sliding over to that other corner when things get really funky in the later innings of a certain game. Uh, but for the most part, he's a first base only guy, and he's not particularly good. Defensive first baseman. I mean, if you're being really generous, you could say he's approximately average. But uh, I wouldn't really agree with that just because of his his limited range and his um his glove work is kind of hit or miss. He's you know he's serviceable out there, and I think he's worth the money in the vacuum to a lot of teams, and even for the Marlins under certain circumstances because of that and because of the intangible stuff as well. He is he is adored by fans, and I imagine by most of his teammates for pretty obvious reasons he is a fun guy that really appreciates the position that he is in i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're hear us in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business sports is not uh, as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together i didn't want to do another stomp you out speech it opened up so many more doors the show is called the The deal deal. listen to the deal listen to the deal on spotify i guess the, the idea of an extension is that they would lock them in at a price that is lower than that arbitration number that must be the plan that the marlins recognize that they don't want to be paying that number For him moving forward and they'll they'll, they'll want to give him a raise uh, over what he's earning this year which is 4.35 million but probably not a dramatic one and they'll want to lock him in for the next two years at you know a slightly higher rate but one that doesn't super inconvenience them again the problem is that he's stuck at first base and for the most part lewin diaz is stuck at first base he has played that position all throughout his minor league career He has uh, reportedly done some workouts in the corner outfield spots last year during summer camp. Um, That didn't really stick. He didn't play that at all when he was called up to the majors last year. And uh, as of this recording, he's still on their major league roster right now uh, because they were playing those games in the American league park against the Orioles with the DH. But as soon as they head home this, this weekend, they don't have that DH anymore. And I'll be curious to see whether Lewin even sticks on the roster or whether they send him down Lewin in 50 Eight games this year between AAA and the majors, he has homered 17 times. He has almost as many home runs as Aguilar in barely half as many games. It's not an apples-to-apples apples comparison, of course, uh, but the conditions between AAA and the majors. Uh, the key with him is his defense, for one. Um, in fact, a critical play here on uh, Wednesday's loss is a double play that he almost turned, and uncharacteristically, Brian Anderson kind of misplayed that. But Lewin almost turned a 3 5 double play that would have preserved the lead in the eighth inning. And uh, that went awry through really no fault of Lewin's, uh, unfortunately. Those are the kind of plays that he makes that Aguilar certainly doesn't even attempt. Um, I, I think he's great defensively. I don't think you could ask much more that he's going to probably win you at least one game every year with his glove if he's playing that every single game. And I mean, the, the more important factor, of course, is the dollars and cents his controllability um, because he spent most of this year in the minor leagues and uh, he was spent most of last year at summer camp. Um, his club control is still way down. He has not accrued yet one year of major league service time, and he won't even if he does stay up for the rest of this year, which means he'll be controllable for six more years beyond 2021. He'll be around forever. It's going to be at least a couple more years until he's even eligible for arbitration. So that alone, when you're talking about Aguilar even even if Aguilar does an extension, someone that will make somewhere north of $5 million, with Cooper, someone that will probably be approaching $3 million, if not above that, and then you have Diaz at like 600000 That's That's something that you absolutely have to take into consideration, and of course the fact that he is younger, that he is only 24 years old, Aguilar's 30, Cooper's 30. So you have these three guys. First base is the primary position for all of them. First place, base is really the only position for two of them. It's contradictory from what the Marlins have said many times during this rebuild about building an athletic and a versatile team that this spits in the face of that. Uh, None of these guys are athletic or fast or really that versatile. And I don't see any scenario where they coexist on the roster next year. Uh, And I'm curious whether they coexist in the organization through this trade deadline, just because, I mean, it's about time that Diaz gets tested at the Major League level. There have been whispers from Marlins executives that they feel Lewin is one of the very best prospects in their organization. I'm someone that I do think he has a strong possibility of being a full-time caliber first baseman. Um, He's probably not going to be the same type of hitter, pure hit tool guy that Aguilar is. Um, the, The trajectory of his swing, it does bother me at times. It leads to a lot of those home runs, but also a lot of kind of innocuous flyouts as well his launch angle gets too steep uh a lot of the times and especially when you're playing a lot of home games at Lone Depot Park you're not going to get rewarded for those um so is there a way that he could coexist with either Aguilar or Cooper yeah uh I mean for one the the opposite handedness that late swings from the left side and those two swing from the right side so if there's any sort of scenario where um I guess this would be kind of a worst-case scenario where you don't feel that any of them are everyday players. You could have some sort of platoon situation, some sort of like rotation between them. Again, this is all assuming there's even a DH next year. I just, it's not so much about, it's, it's a lot about the money, but it's even more so just about the roster spots being so precious that I, I just don't see a way where you're going to have three of your 26 active roster spots to first baseman uh, next season. In 2022. Uh, I'm just curious to hear uh, what you guys think about how the Marlins should resolve this. Again, we have Aguilar as really the most dependable of these guys. Now, in back to back seasons, he's been such a great hitter, such a great clutch hitter, and for everything he does off the field. With Cooper, um, he probably is like the biggest upside as a hitter alone. I mean, we've seen it the last two years but he just can't uh, stay healthy at this point. Let me pull up quickly this number on Garrett Cooper, that the Marlins, what, these last three years, these last four years, he's been the organization now for four years, Cooper, in his four years in the Marlins organization, will have played in about 40% of the possible games due to a variety of injuries, some of them uh, really some fluky ones in there for sure, but ultimately, it's the cliche that the best ability is availability, and he has just not had that at all with him, so I expect them to tender him a contract. Um, uh, The question is going to come down to whether they keep Aguilar through this deadline. I mean, they've been talking so highly about Lewin, and we just know the way that this position ages, that despite how good Aguilar looks at age 30, well, now 31, he just celebrated his birthday, and uh, Cooper looks at age 30, that these guys can fall off a cliff really quick and uh, the Marlins can't afford knowing that they already have enough offensive questions as as they already have in the aftermath of trading away Starling Marte. uh, They need to be very careful with who they invest in, with who they give these roster spots to. We could see a lot of clarity with this situation at the trade deadline. Again, leaving open that possibility that Aguilar could get dealt. He does have positive value and With Lewin kind of being redundant to him, even with the DH coming along, these next couple days will be very fascinating. And uh, assuming that they do hold on to Aguilar, how exactly they split up that playing time between him and Lewin uh, coming down the stretch in what is ultimately going to be a non-contending year. That's one of the big storylines to follow uh, during these final 60 games. Of course, the most pressing issue is the trade deadline involving Aguilar, involving all the Marlins relievers. Maybe there are some dark horse candidates who get traded as well. Adam Duvall, all that. We'll have you covered on Fist Stripes. Thank you guys for listening. I've been Eli Sussman. Uh, We'll have plenty more content coming up for you. Small pod along on the same feed Thursday morning, Friday morning. We'll have our live stream on Friday afternoon. Perfect timing that it'll be right after the trade deadline, but right before this much anticipated series against Giancarlo Stanton in the Yankees good decisions or bad decisions or wait to see decisions this is an interesting organization for sure as always i appreciate you listening and go fish